Run for the hills, David. Oh, the my spaceships God. are landing. I've got my shotgun. I'm okay. <laughs> the spaceships are landing. Well, folks, welcome back to Movie Classics. I'm Larry Opperman, and my partner, David Regal, is here. And uh, we're here to talk about science fiction movies today. Science fiction. The uh, future. We, the future of the world. The future of the world. But, you know, before I get going on that, I want to remind everyone, and we... Uh, Hope uh, those of you that have attended our shows on the last Saturday of the month, our uh, Kenai Peninsula Film Group, that our next showing will be March 25th, 2.30 in the afternoon at the library. And you can check out our Facebook page at Kenai Peninsula Film Group. Just do a search for that on Facebook to see what we're planning uh, for that last Saturday of March. So uh, come on down and watch some shorts with us. We'll talk about it. Be a sense of community. We'd love to have you here. Or have you there with us? So, well, anyway, David, we're we're going to talk about sci-fi movies, and when we talk sci-fi to you, what's a what does that bring to your mind? You think? Oh, uh, well, okay. Let's talk relatively recent. The Dune, Dune, super scary, interesting development of of uh, outer space. You know, an, another world, but it it always involves some type of prophetic vision prophetic vision of what might be or what's happening or what what is our current fear what are we now afraid of they, 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 it reflects you know I, I think you've mentioned before it reflects uh, oh they might be outer space or they might be from russia you know they might be from the soviet union uh they might be from any of those things that might catch us uh, and, and for you folks and for you folks that uh listen to that music at the beginning of the show that is the lead-in music to the day the earth stood still with michael rennie you mm -hmm. marlowe mm -hmm. patricia neal and uh, some of you folks don't realize, but in that movie, you know, you know who else was in that movie, don't you, David? No, no. You Francis Bavier, Aunt B from oh, the Andy Griffith yes, Show. Yes, yes. Well, good thing that she had more than one act. You know, that's that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> and one yeah, of the, that one, was that was Washington D.C. post-war. You know, it was in the fifties, right? During the Red Scare. During the Red Scare, we had we had uh, you know our future was all tied up in whether or not we were going to win the Cold War. And one of the things that, when uh, they're all at the boarding house, eating uh, breakfast, they're talking about this mysterious spaceman that has now landed and is running around Washington D.C. And Aunt B goes, well, if you want my opinion, you know where I think they come from. Well, she's it's a direct reference to him being a Russian, a yes, communist. Yes, Has yes, infiltrated. Those, those dirty communists. That's right. That has in integrated their community. Well, it's, and, it, and the underlying theme was prejudice. Yes. It, and, and it was happening during an era when we were just struggling, just starting to struggle with that seriously. Um, the Day the Earth Stood Still, phenomenal um, uh, lead character who got shot, uh, killed, and recovered, which right. is a, a darn act of, hard act to follow. And one of, the, one of the quintessential things of this particular science fiction movie is so many of them show the aliens coming down to Earth as enemies of earth gonna overtake the earth well Not michael here. rennie cloud two he came as a with a message of peace and a warning to the people of earth to 
be very careful with the technology you're developing. To cut it out. Yep, that's right. No bombs, no nothing. That's right. Uh, and it won't be long before you people of Earth are going to have interstellar travel, and we can't allow that based on your the history of your people of over overthrowing and and uh, and war. Yes, yes. That uh, from the beginning of time, deciding that what we should do with the rockets hit each other. You know. And one of the uh, and another few uh, good actors in there was Billy Gray. If you remember, he was the son on Father Knows Best. Billy Gray was in that movie as Patricia Neal some and Sam Jaffe Mm -hmm. uh, was in there as uh, Professor Barnhart. And Professor Barnhart as that prototypical egghead, you know, who who could figure it out. But also the high tech of the era. If you were a scientist, right. what you had to have, not a keyboard, but a piece of chalk and a chalkboard. And a chalkboard. That was everything that was done in the in the world of science had to end up on a chalkboard. That's right. And one of my favorite scenes is when Clatu, uh, the Michael Rennie character, goes to Professor Barnhart's house. And he's got all these mathematical equations on the board. And he takes the chalk and he starts doing corrections. <laughs> yes. And the housekeeper is getting ready to erase them all. And he sticks his head through the door and says, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And then he finally meets Professor Barnhart in his study. And Professor Barnhart said, what about this here? He says, they're negligible and blah, blah, blah. He says, are you sure it works? And he goes, well, it works enough to get me from one planet to the other. Right. And again, uh, advanced technology being brought right. to the world by others. And, he, and even the egghead professor, uh, he says, uh, yes, uh, please sit down. I have several thousand questions to right. ask you. Right, right. You know, well, he gets to ask like two. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. And, and uh, so the thing doesn't really end up on a high note, as I recall. But um, I think everything gets resolved, and uh, our little world continues, basically, on the same track it was on before the movie started. But, you know, what's amazing is is, uh, in that era, I think 1956 that movie came Mm -hmm, out, mm -hmm. is the insight, and Robert Wise directed that, the insight of the people back then to recognize that we can't, continue living this way with atomic weapons with you know somebody from another planet had to come and let the people of earth know you guys got to stop this it's got to be better than what we're doing right now right that right and and um a lot of for you know a lot of force telling of uh where we are now but not in the same not in as direct a way as perhaps was needed Oh, although, and I, and although, I, you know, Hollywood did. See, I mean, it was interesting that the filmmakers of the day were latching onto themes which had been, you know, in the uh, genre for quite a while. Uh, you know, this is fifty-six. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Dave. It was fifty-one. Oh, fifty-one. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. No, nineteen fifty-one. Same difference. Right. Basically, same same challenge. But only five years, uh, six years after World War Two ended, and the uh, and of course the Korean War, where we were a hot war with uh, the communists. But this this is a, a theme of being um, concerned about what the future. If we don't understand what we're up against, if we don't understand the dangers that we might be blind to, uh, might end up uh, and. One thought was that it goes way back 
uh, to the beginning of the Industrial Revolution when Mary Shelley was writing the book Frankenstein. That was uh, 1830, wasn't it? 1818. 1818. Yeah, and, and the point being, this is science, and it can do weird stuff, and should we, you know, shouldn't we be aware of that? What is the humanity? What, 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 what is the result of unbridled, you know, sort of scientific discovery? Right, and I think Frankenstein, while it's uh, generally considered horror movies, it's also science fiction. Of course, that's my point. That's my right, point. Right, exact point. So it's a it's a uh, uh, an aspect of uh, investigation in with into our society, which a number of people have have taken up. H. G. Wells, uh, with the War of the Worlds and the Time Machine, uh, the War of the Worlds is what uh, you know. This is this was a phenomenal uh, book, but also a radio show. What's right. a, I mean, back when radio was king. Absolutely. What happened? Nineteen thirty-eight. What, what happened in New Jersey with uh, with with radio? Do you remember? Uh, Do you remember? Were you there? <laughs> yeah, was I there? Well, the only thing I remember back then was the biggest thing at uh, uh, is at Lakehurst is the the uh, Him, Hindenburg. Hindenburg was a problem, yeah. but also there was a young guy uh, named Orson Welles right. who put on a radio play. Right. Uh, that radio play was so well done that you had panic going throughout New Jersey where the spaceships were supposed right, to be Right, people landing. thought their Martians had landed. It's first, uh, it was exactly, I mean, at the time, if we were willing to understand uh, our news coming from the radio to be true, why wouldn't you believe this uh, radio announcer was actually giving us the story. And, you know, a similar thing happened. I can't remember if it was the late 70s or early 80s. Uh, a TV station did kind of the same thing. Uh, they were on the East Coast, I think, at a at a, a port. Mm -hmm. And some terrorist had a atom Bomb atomic weapon yeah, at the yeah. thing, and they blew it up. Mm. And they did it as a news event uh, right. with a, the reporter there. And same way there, some people that didn't get in on the beginning that said, this is a, this is a. They, uh, they ran for the hills. They ran for the hills and they thought, it, some people thought it was real. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's right. one of those things that, uh, well, it's another one of those things that on what people will, will and won't believe. And fear. And the fear. Use, the use of fear uh, and lack of, uh, of, uh, uh, you know, context or enough education to understand that that's not actually likely. Right. You know, what's the right. likelihood of this? And, you know, one thing I'd, I'd like to bring up with you on uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still is there's a scene in that when the the authorities, the military, are getting closer and closer to Klaatu, who is now running around in the city, and he's taken up with Patricia Neal, who knows who he is now and is trying to help him. Mm -hmm. And... He's at her boarding house, and he starts running away, and the military shoots him and kills him. Right. And they've got him laying in a jail cell, dead. And uh, Gort, the robot, 
with uh, you know the big robot that's yeah. got the Jay Leno chin yeah, yeah. on him. Yeah. He he comes, he finds him at the jail, and he uses his beam and he blasts a hole in the wall that melts it, and he carries Clatu back to the spaceship. Now, what I've always wondered, you never pay attention to this stuff, is okay. So this giant robot's carrying this guy all the way through the city of of Washington of Washington D.C. DC and yeah. and nobody stops him or nobody does anything. Right, right. He unknowingly gets back to the spaceship. Well, he gets back to the spaceship, and he lays. And Patricia Neal is in the spaceship, uh-huh. and Gort lays him down on this bed, and this machine machine starts whining and lights flashing and all this stuff. Well, pretty soon, Clatu comes back to life. He's alive. This is advanced science. This is advanced science. This yeah. machine that Gort laid him in, he just comes back. Well, pa- Patricia Neal says. Of the robots, because mm-hmm. the robots are the the interstellar police force mm-hmm. that keeps people from getting out of hand and controlling them. And if they can't control them, they just destroy them. So anyway, Patricia Neal uh, asked Klaatu, he says, do they have do they have the power of life and death? Mm-hmm. And Klaatu has to say, that's that's reserved for the almighty spirit. Yeah. Well, the censors made them put that line in that movie as a reference to God. And they're like, we're not going to let him bring this back to life and have God not be. And they said, how long will you live? And he said, that's that's, not up to me. It's not up to me. Yeah. It's not up to me how long I'll now live. Again, uh, film as artifact, film as a product of the culture of its moment and and the creativity of the person who was... uh, Doing the screenplay, um, the the uh, understanding of the culture of the time, so that are a product of the t- culture of the time. And so you had you had the day the Earth stood still. Uh, you had Jules Verne deciding that his science fiction was going to happen right on Earth, right, with twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Which is a fantastic movie with Kirk Douglas, and 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 yet didn't have to leave the Earth. Uh, I thought it was interesting to think about the science fiction writers of the time, deciding that there was plenty here on Earth to figure out, and that uh, somebody was going to do it. And so you had an advanced science team, you know, doing this remarkable uh, submarine. Yeah, yeah, us, us. and it's a and and that's right uh, for the time, which is basically Civil War times. Right, is the Nautilus is a futuristic, completely completely futuristic uh, submarine, which can be considered science fiction. This is during an era are being written when you know steam was right high tech. Right, yeah. and, and, and Captain Nemo back then is using nuclear power yep. in the Nautilus, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it remarkable. Was, yeah, it was just remarkable, remarkable. Uh, but you know, one of, the, one of the things that I thought was pretty neat about uh, uh, another great science fiction movie is Earth versus the Flying Saucers. <laughs> and it's another Cold War movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the aliens are coming down to Earth, but it's really, you know, in the back of your mind, it's the Russians. Mm-hmm. They were going to fight the Russians. But one of the neat things that I remember about that is we all pretty much know the horror writer Stephen King. Yes. Well, Stephen King, I read an interview by him once, 
And he said that when he was 10 years old in 1957, him and all his school buddies were at the theater watching Earth versus the Flying Saucers. And <laughs> the, the whole. B, probably the B roll, too. And the, you know? the, the, every, was, every kid the, in town is in the theater watching yeah. these movies. Yeah. And he said that partway through the movie, the movie stopped, the lights went on, and the theater manager come out and she walked out on the stage and said, I just wanted to let everybody know that the Russians have launched the very first satellite around mm, the Earth. Sputnik. Sputnik. Got ahead of us. That's right. And he said that he said it was so ominous sitting in that theater. All mm. those kids were dead quiet. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this stuff is real. Yeah, some of it is. Yeah. And, and the stuff that might affect us is, is certainly real. Right, you know, but yeah. the Russians now yeah. have, you know, and, and, and it's like the famous thing that, that uh, uh, Eisenhower said, I do not plan to go to bed by the light of a communist moon, you know. <laughs> and, and uh, but he said, but, you know, that was, he said that was so ominous to him mm-hmm. and all those kids. Sure. And then they all, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then they started the movie up again, and they got to finish watching their movie. And there goes a Stephen King career, huh? That's what, right. With a, well, that'll be another show. We'll have to start thinking about uh, our, some other themes. No but, kidding. But we're, done, we're doing science fiction today. That's right. We're doing science sci-fi fiction, today. Something that must have a prophetic vision, which is interesting. We're, in, again, in its age, in the 50s and, and 60s and today... Uh, when we're thinking of, uh, uh, you know, a, a 2001 A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick, 1968, the, the, that prophetic vision is still doggone current. I mean, if you ask the man on the street, he probably would expect uh, us to have a spaceship that will take us to Mars and for us to sit down there and create a new culture. And uh, Hal will be there. Oh, yeah. And as I was telling you before about Hal in, in that, it is, Hal is one alphabetic letter away from IBM. Hal is one letter underneath yep. eight, IBM, H-A-L. And everybody have said uh, that that was on purpose. And, but it was absolutely a coincidence. 1968, when the, the, the highest tech that we had in our office at the time was a Selectric IBM typewriter. Right. And, and uh, okay, now, if we don't, uh, that, that, that's telling too much. <laughs> that's telling too much. The, um, so, yes, 2001, A Space Odyssey, a computer who is actually telling you what's going to happen next. Not, not you. The um, again, this is a, 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 a. If we're going to accept Mary Shelley from 1818 writing this, the novel Frankenstein as the starting point, we can't pass up 1927 with Metropolis. Exactly, Fritz Lang. We got Fritz Lang doing something that, still in my mind, as a silent film, scary. Oh, it is. Yeah. It, it, I mean, how, how could you imagine something that was done in 1927 that we couldn't now figure out and be ahead of? It's basically in, a movie describing uh, socialism and con- communism. That, that, and also the future. 
right. this idea of a prophetic vision. Um, it, it's nice to know. At least we can be convinced now that uh, no matter how good we are at imagining a prophetic future, it's not going to be that way. Right. <laughs> it doesn't turn out. There is no how yet. You right. Know? Um, the uh, and and interestingly, Buck Rogers. Do you know anything about Buck Rogers? You yeah, Buck of, Rogers with Ming, uh, the heard, Emperor's Ming and Mon. You, and, yeah, you've heard yeah. him. I've heard about him. Well, 1928. There again, back back in the twenties, when the we were in an interwar period, we had just killed millions of people. We had invented a machine gun. We thought that sitting in a in a trench was high tech. Um, we had P.F. Newland uh, writing a novella uh, that got published for the first time in a pulp magazine okay, called Armageddon 2419. He thought, oh, that was far enough out there, 2419. Yeah, I haven't heard of that yeah, one. No, okay. I'd have to check that out. First presence of Buck Rogers. That's where Buck Rogers came from. And what's interesting about, uh, again, 1928 novella, here we are getting into the 50s and the, and the 40s with the first comic strip that featured Buck Rogers. And well, the title of the show was Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. And not only that, but gosh, what are we making, what are we making today and making fortunes with but you know, science fiction uh, that ends up being super, whatever, you name it. You yeah, know, certain science fiction has com- become reality Coming force. out of comic strips right come you know that whole that whole business now that is based on something that started out and was common knowledge uh whoever happened to be picking up a pulp magazine or pulp you know a novel in 1928 so but you know you you look at you look at metropolis and uh, that wonderful Fritz Lang film, and it's all silent, and it yep. plays, you know, it's like the old silent movies. You can watch it now, and then there's music in the background, and they change the, the tempo sure. of the music for, th- the, for the thematic, mm-hmm. the, the, the theme or the scene. And there was a, a, a character in there called Grote, mm-hmm. and he was evil. He was the evil, like, supervisor. Right. Well, we had a, we had a guy we worked with, <laughs> That was his nickname from all of oh, us. Oh no! His name he was. Did a he know that? Did he understand what? He didn't were, get it. He didn't get it. He didn't get it at all. <laughs> he didn't get it at all. And uh, but we all kind of, he said, "Hey, how's the evil groat doing today?" You know, <laughs> he never he never got it. <laughs> you know, we're dealing with uh, science fiction as a, a genre, um, and uh, one that a movie that would have a prophetic vision. We're not talking about Killer Tomatoes, right? Right, we're not talking about Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. No, no. I mean, uh, there there were B films, B movies that were making people, you know, a livelihood, that were going, taking taking something that was generally considered serious, and going off the deep end with it. Right, like uh, we've never what seen is that outlaw, happen. Out, yeah. outlaw women from Mars. We've never seen that happen. Before, no, never, right? no, never. No, no, that's good. That's but good. but you know, that's a good point, David. When you do talk about science fiction. Some of the other science fiction, which almost leans into horror, but it's really sci-fi, for instance, is Creature from the Black Lagoon. That's it. 
that is a science fiction what, what have we been feeding those fish right what you know what how, how far away is this lagoon from the nearest nuclear plant that's right <laughs> that's right exactly <laughs> that's exactly right and therefore uh when we have you know a guy in a rubber suit uh acting as a monster uh we end up saying well we know that it's not real but that's you know don't mention that and then we end up with uh, what's particularly interesting, particularly with, with Buck Rogers are uh, some of these films that were depicting a spaceship is movie props. That's a study in and of itself. Like what can, how much can you do with cardboard? Right. Because well, and it's, 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 in some cases it's comical. Right. And I'll go back to Day the Earth Stood Still. Right. The, that film you know, if you remember watching it, whenever the spaceship's on the, the mall mm-hmm. in D.C. Mm-hmm. and it opens up and that ramp comes ramp out. Comes and out. Goes, well, yeah. you see no seam on that. Right. There's no seam to see yep. on it. And they even mention, uh, I can't find a seam anywhere. I'm using the toughest yeah. torch. We can't oh, get in. Oh, this is from outer space. That's right. But the way they did that was each time they had to film that, the the construction crew around the mm-hmm. set people mm-hmm. they sealed it up and they made it look like there was no seam at all right and then when they opened it but to make it go back in they just ran the film backwards oh there you go yep they ran the film backwards yeah, do it once be and, clever and yeah. then it and then it closes up and there's no seam visible that's cool you know and that's how they that's how they did that and it was really cool because i mean it looks real when you're a kid, yeah, yeah sure. It's of real. course, it's real. It's real enough, right? And who knew that it really depended on a whole bunch of drywall paste? You know, it, uh, uh, that's yeah. exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> we know how to do that now. And, and you know, I've told you before. One of some of the things I like to, and I don't know what it is. It's just, I just notice these things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mistakes in movies. Like, sure. if you remember uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, Klaatu wants to give the people of Earth a message, and, and Professor Barnhart says, I'd hate for anybody to get hurt. You know, so he literally turns off the electricity on the whole planet for 30 minutes. That was the test. Right, but but planes are still flying, mm-hmm. hospitals are still running, yeah. well, but nobody's car or anything. So they show this picture of Times Square in New York City. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All the vehicles are stopped, everything. But down in the right-hand corner is a movie marquee that's still still running, going along with their movie marquee. <laughs> that's well, right. They got it as good as they possibly could. I often wondered, what was it about that automobile that was depending on electricity right. uh, that, that the airplane wasn't you know the right. the uh, but but if he had dropped all the airplanes out of the out of the sky right he would have pissed a lot of people off that's right and then when you looked at gort yeah. uh, that was played by lock martin like the six foot eight mm. doorman at grauman's mm. chinese theater <laughs> right. and he was so weak you know he's got a scene where he's carrying patricia yeah. neal yeah and if you look real close you can see it he was so weak he couldn't hold patricia neal up so they've got her in a sling with wires holding oh, her oh seriously as they've carried well that car- that that again that that set the the um, special effects of him being in that suit probably was enough in and along Maybe in, so. in and of itself. And they had a couple of suits for him. They had a suit that he wore, if you saw him from the back, mm-hmm. and it, there's a few scenes where you can just barely see it. The front of it is laced up, yeah. and yeah. then under that Jay Leno chin, you see some holes uh, you for ventilation breathe, you for you breathe something. That's yeah. right, and then whenever it's a front shot of him, mm-hmm. the, the uh, thing... 
uh, laces up in the back right. for him in that. Right, right. But that's how weak he was. But, and yeah, and yeah. Patricia Neal in this movie, when she first did it, uh, I'd love to find the outtakes of this movie because uh, she said she got so tickled doing these lines and thought this would be just a worthless movie. movie yeah, she, it will never be popular. Right, she couldn't believe she was doing this movie mm. and that she would laugh during some of her lines. And then as she got older in her career, she finally realized what a prophetic yeah. and profound movie this was in yeah. the sci-fi genre. You know, so that's the kind of stuff I like to find out and read about movies. There, it is. It is. I, you know, George Lucas didn't think Star Wars was going to be much of a movie, as I remember. Oh, that's Nin you are exactly right 1977. there. 1977. And there we're talking about you know, a really elegant use of uh, fishing line and uh, movie sets. Well, and, and you know, one of the things he did, like for the X-Wing fighters and mm -hmm. the Millennium Falcon and all that mm -hmm. stuff, those things were actually locked in place. Mm -hmm. They didn't move. Right. The, the camera, camera moved. moved. The camera moved all around, basically almost Super clever. 360 degrees, Un and uh, that's how they filmed that. Unlike uh, some of the cars, oh. of, I love the cars of tomorrow that you can see in these films. Um, it, it, a lot of it was coming right out of Southern California custom hot rod, you know, uh, efforts and and so the, uh, the what was ever whatever was popular in custom cars as i recall you would end up seeing somehow you know this was a huge lincoln or a huge mercury that was floating somehow oh yeah yeah <laughs> you know, and and uh, but but it was you know you could have seen it that saturday if you looked hard down and, the, and even even yeah. in metropolis mm -hmm. you know uh, you know and, and everybody as we grew up you know uh you know by 2000 we were supposed to have the flying car sure. where we all just yeah, zipped why, all over the place why not you know could you uh, you look at the trouble we have on the roads today can you imagine everybody going around in a flying car <laughs> My gosh. Well, it would take care of the population. Boy, you're not kidding. Yeah, the, you are not the, kidding. The, but but I, the, 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 uh, the use of cardboard is is uh, one of those things that you want to start looking for. You know, like, oh, yeah, there you go. The, 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 uh, the, and, and it happens in these sci-fi movies, but it also happens in sci-fi television. And we don't deal with television very much unless you're talking Doctor Who. Yeah. Doctor Who is uh, started out in 1963 and is still going on. Still going strong, you bet. It's a, it's a BBC television series, which I think now has gotten a worldwide you know, popularity. Uh, but I love the early Daleks. The the uh, the guys from outer space, Doctor Who and the Daleks. Yeah, yeah it's a movie. Yeah, but but those guys, those guys, um, you know, if that isn't a cardboard outfit, I'd never have seen one. Oh yeah, it's, it's well, and it's and there's some of them. Uh, I think it's just called the monster. Uh, the the attacker is. A gorilla with a spaceship helmet on. There you go. And that's all it is. <laughs> that's it. Don't have to go further <laughs> yeah, than that's, that. Yeah, that's all his, <laughs> that's all his costume that'll, is. That'll do it. Yeah, but you know, David, we've and we've talked about him many times, but one of the fathers of sci-fi movies is George Millier in France again. Uh, where we are back We to go back to him a lot because mm -hmm. he had such a profound effect 
on the movie industry, uh, uh, the astronomer's dream, a trip to the moon, and and you folks, we've you've heard us mention it before that a trip to the moon is the one where it shows the moon with the spaceship lodged in his eye. Yes, in the in the man in the moon. Yeah, the man in the moon. That's right. You know, the, you know so George Melies started, but you know, one of the other great movies at the height of the Red Scare, the McCarthyism, and all that stuff, is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, mm-hmm. nineteen fifty six. They're coming for you. Yeah, they're coming for you. Those those pods. How much? How much of today's uh, fearfulness of the future and of the other? The other is always a theme in these. Right. The, it's not us. It's not uh, we're we're the good guys. It's those other guys, whoever that happens to be. Uh, that is. And is you know, there's a problem. A, there's a there's a, a good line from a more contemporary sci-fi movie, if you've ever seen the movie Contact, mm-hmm. where people have just now gotten contacted by a far-off civilization, and they're having this meeting about it, and the Jodie Foster character, Dr. Arroway, she's trying to say that, why does our bio always make them be the bad guys, and they're coming to destroy it? And he said, if they would get us, he said... That'd be just like us standing on an anthill and crushing it with our foot. Mm-hmm. And then the the national security guy, uh, he goes, and just how guilty would you feel crushing that anthill? There, so he's saying there's no guilt no. involved no. by doing something like that. dealing with a problem. That's right. They're dealing with a problem, and you do that. But, yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Kevin McCarthy uh, and Dana Winter. And and there's a guy too. Uh, mo- a lot of folks have seen him in a lot of uh, bit parts. A guy named King Donovan. Uh, uh, what a name, King Donovan. You know. But yeah. Uh, and and uh, like a lot of movies, the 1956 version is much better than. And the 1993 version is is not bad. Yeah. It's it's not but, bad. But it's good to have a, a knowledge of the original. Right. While you're watching. Right. It'll help you understand the yeah. uh, the other one. Yeah. Uh, with uh, uh, Donald we've, Sutherland. We've, we've talked about Star Wars being basically a cowboy movie right. set in space. It, it, um, but it doesn't mean that it's ju- not as fascinating. It's just a cowboy movie for today, I suppose. Right. You can say right. that. The other thing that I just uh, dawned on me, uh, and you may know more about this movie than I do, but Independence Day oh, yeah. was a was classic. I mean, right out of the genre, right out of the. I mean, that's that's all there is. Is these are the these are the guys that are coming to destroy. Uh, if it isn't if it isn't the um, you know the War of the Worlds repeat, I can't imagine any better you know duplication of absolutely that it's theme. a remake of war of the worlds which, that's right which the remake of war of the worlds with tom cruise the more contemporary one mm-hmm. you know it it wasn't too bad it it was it wasn't bad now now i will have to say though the remake of day the earth stood still with keanu reeves is and jennifer Connolly is absolutely horrible <laughs> it is absolutely a you, horrible you mean, movie i'm glad you have an opinion that's oh fine. you're not it is absolutely <laughs> worthless you know so well folks i'll tell you what uh, we're going to take a quick little break here and i got a couple things to play for you and i hope you enjoy them uh one of them's a little bit funny and one of them's a little bit of history so uh so enjoy these i i hope you like them we'll be back in a couple of minutes Traveling through outer space Reborn in the 
the stratosphere and Saturn bound. Flying fast and miles off the ground. Jumped from the spaceship just to look around. And shot off his gun without making a sound. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of this brand new place. Davy, Davy Crockett, traveling through outer space. Off went his rocket at the speed of light. Flying so fast there was no day or night. Messing around with the fabric of time. He knows who's guilty for there's even a crime. Davy, Davy Crockett, the buckskin astronaut. Davy, Davy Crockett, there's more than we were taught. Hiding in the cargo was a robot drone. Program to destroy Davy's spaceship home. Davy switched out his brains, now the drone's a dog clone. Named him Copernicus and threw him a bone. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of this brand new place. Davy, Davy Crockett, traveling through outer space. witness account of what's happening on the Wilmoth Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. We now return you to Carl Phillips at Grover's Mill. Ladies and gentlemen, my on? Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilmoth's garden. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. The more state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. About 30 of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain's conferring with someone. Can't quite see who. Oh, yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now, now they've parted, and the professor moves around one side... Studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. Flag of truce. If those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute. Something's happening. Humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from that mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. Strikes him head on. Lord, they're turning into flames. Ah! Oh, the whole field's caught up by the woods. The fires, the, the gas tanks, tanks of the automobiles are spreading everywhere. Coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. Professor Indelkoffer speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society 
expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. We continue now with our piano interlude. Well, folks, I think uh, I think we all could figure uh, out what that was by now, and that the uh, the explosions on Mars were not volcanic uh, activity, but it was the Martians launching from Mars to Earth to overcome Earth people and take over the Earth. Now, most of you folks will know that that is an excerpt from the actual broadcast done in 1938, put on by. The radio station, Orson Welles was doing it, and Dave and I were talking. Uh, imagine what it was like in that studio doing all those sound effects yeah, and the screaming. I love that. I love that. <clears throat> Real creativity, but also convincing. Remember, those were the guys in New Jersey that were literally uh, running around imagining that the, what was being broadcast on. Uh, and and I think Orson got in trouble. Oh yeah, yeah. He, <clears throat> he in fact, in fact, uh, created a panic. Be, besides his movie. Citizen Kane, I think most people, uh, he dealt with that the rest of his life yes, as a yes, prime topic yes. uh, when he would be interviewed as, hey, what about that 38 War of the Worlds thing you did? He might have been gotten, t- yeah, I think he was probably getting tired of that after a while. Uh, he probably was. He, he actually probably so. was a little bit. But it, it made me think about, as, as I was listening to that, uh, the, um, you know, the Doctor Who series actually uses the main character as a scientist who is a hero, a hero scientist. In many of these, you end up with a scientist who was misanalyzing, didn't have all the you know the facts in front of him, was were predicting a certain outcome that wasn't anything but what was going to happen next. And, and I, nobody believed him. No, and, and, and I thought that was an interesting attitude that was being brought forward in many science fictions where, where you know, we're we're doing our best, but we don't really know what's going on, and we don't know what's going to happen next. And, and oh, uh, by the way, we predicted all of this, but no, we don't really know what's going to happen. Doctor Who knows what's going to happen. Doctor Who is sort of cool because he's a scientist with attitude. He's a scientist that actually can run, you know, run things and become, become, well, get into the, uh, his spaceship and uh, end up being in control instead of out. And I thought that was just an interesting development of this, of this hero who we uh, often do not believe in time. Right, and it's the, uh, it's the same as the, the Gene Barry character in mm-hmm. the 50s version of War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. He's the scientist out there on a fishing trip with his buddies, and the first spaceship lands from Mars. And he is he's, uh, more mesmerized by the science of it mm-hmm. than initially is of the danger of it. And but he finds he, out. He, he finds out later. Yeah. You bet. He finds out later. Yeah. And uh, a great one if you folks want to watch it. Uh, the original mm-hmm. War of the Worlds with Gene Barry. It's, it's a wonderful The movie. original movie. The original movie. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. You know, now, now, as we were talking a little bit earlier, David, when you talk about what is an anachronism and, a, mm-hmm. and an Easter egg, mm-hmm. one of the things in War of the Worlds at the very beginning, when they show the woods and there's the spaceship going across the sky, it looks more like a meteor and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. There's some woods there. Well, Robert Wise was friends with Walter Lance. If you know who yeah. he was, he developed the Woody Woodpecker character. Yeah. 
So in quite a few movies, if you look in War of the Worlds, up in the tree is a little tiny Woody Woodpecker. Oh, shoot. That is an Easter egg. Yes. That's that what an Easter egg is. That defines an Easter egg. Right. That's good. There's put a, in there on purpose. Put in Not there on purpose. Not by accident. Nope. Put in there on purpose yep. as a tribute to his friend Walter Lance. Right, right, right. That's what an Easter egg is. And, I, you know, and the first time I read about that... I went back and I, I re-ran and re-ran mm-hmm. and re-ran. And I'm like, there he is. Yeah. There's Woody that's Woodpecker cool. That's cool. in War of the Worlds. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's a good explanation on what an Easter egg is. Well, I, the, um, as we get into more and more contemporary films, we have this development of the, of the uh, character of scientist who has been tasked with coming up with an answer. And that made me remember some of the characters in Independence Day. Where we have a uh, a hero for sure in Will Smith, but we also have you know some guys working overtime. The Jeff Goldblum scientist. Yes, yes, exactly, right. exactly. And you know one of my favorite lines from that movie is when when he's trying to find his ex wife in the White House and he puts this thing on top of his car and he does all this stuff and he finds out her number mm-hmm. and his and his uh, dad goes. Uh, boy, I didn't know you could do that. He goes, yeah, all cable TV repairmen can do it, Dad. Because <laughs> he's an MIT scientist, but he works for a t- cable TV company. Right, right, yeah, I right. love that. He says, all cable TV guys can do this, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> at the time. High tech at the time. Yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Yeah. That's, that's where, uh, uh, you know, the good guys get the best of them and figure out technology on their own. Uh, but but fall against a um, a superior character, you know, a superior technology at the beginning. Remember those those, those uh, uh, fighter jets, sort of out out classed. Oh yeah, the Russian or the, uh, the see, I said the Russians. Yeah, yeah, the, no, the, the Martians. In this case, I think we were uh, getting out of that attitude toward the Soviet Union and really realizing that the the dangers that we were confronting were way beyond just geopolitical you know yeah yeah. well and as we said most of the movies except for more modern day movies i'd I'd have to go back and see them but most of the earlier science fiction as far as spaceships coming to earth Mm -hmm. are all to overthrow earth yes and you you don't to me you don't really get into the more benevolent aliens till you get into like et maybe right that's a real you know left turn isn't it right um when you and and that was sort of like by accident we were he was on a mission and he ran out of gas you know type of thing and and you know what i'll give you another easter egg Mm. david okay there in one of the uh earlier star wars movies uh, i can't remember if it's one two or three Mm -hmm. but they've got this scene where it's the whole galactic Congress, right. And you got people from all these planets around. They're in these little pods in this yes. gigantic thing. And if you look down to the lower right during this meeting, there is a pod mm-hmm. full of E.T. characters. <laughs> that, 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 no, that's going to, I'm going to have to look for that. Yeah, the E.T., E.T., and it, you know, yeah. and it's not E.T., but it's. No, 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 the, the, from his planet. From his planet. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're in Star Wars, uh-huh. you know, and that's a, that's a good Easter egg. That's but, cool. but you look at that. Yeah, E.T., and I do have to tell you, I might have told you this one before, too, folks, but uh, I got to tell you a good story. My wife and I were going to see E.T. at the movies back when it came out, mm-hmm. and 
there was a young guy and a young girl in front. They looked like they could have been 16 and 15, 17 and 16. This is a date movie. This is a date. They're going out on a date, and they were right in front of us. And the, and the young man steps up trying to be the guy that run the date. And, and he walks up to the ticket counter, and he goes... Two for et, please. <laughs> instead, no, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, before. instead of saying et, yeah, uh, he yeah. was being so suave. Uh, oh. uh, two, two for et, please. And I'll tell you what, my wife and I, we held it in. You couldn't. You uh, we I'm held it in. Didn't ruin his evening. No, I, we didn't want to ruin the poor kid's evening. But he was, <laughs> he was being so nice and trying to impress his girlfriend, and uh, it was so funny though. And I'll tell you what, we still do that. I mean, it's a forty-year-old movie almost sure. now, and we still. It's do at, that we'll to one, you. one of us one of us will go two for et please yeah, right, right. <laughs> and whatever happened to that little girl who was in that movie oh uh oh uh, gosh she's got her own tv show now drew barrymore <laughs> she's in that something she's got a talk show i think she's going on she's like 47 46 now and uh yeah and she was in some other good movies. talk about a sci-fi movie that i enjoyed back then she was in it was called firestarter by stephen king mm-hmm. where she had uh, pyrokinesis Starting everybody and her brother on fire, you know. Watch out for Drew. Yeah, watch out for Drew, you know. Yeah. And then especially whenever those girls like that, they get in, uh, they start getting into puberty, and then they're really going to start blowing everybody. <laughs> <laughs> angry. Yeah, angry. But, yeah, it was a good, it, we liked Firestarter a lot, you know, and, and uh, we always liked drew barrymore and and uh, yeah she's like i like following careers yeah like that. yeah and then she's obviously from a a well-known sure uh, hollywood family. royalty lionel yep. john barrymore and the barrymore family exactly. uh, but yeah now she's got an afternoon talk show mm. uh, that she's doing and, and i guess i don't know you know those come and go and i guess she's doing okay but uh, i just you know she's had a fine career and i thought you know the uh, uh, it just came to mind as what happened to these little kids yeah. you know, that we we knew years ago. And I'll tell you, David, I, I think the another, you know, like we, we generally talk more about kind of classic movies, mm-hmm. and we try to decide, you know, like is there a date cutoff for a classic movie? And I, I don't think there is. You know, you can have a, a movie that was done six years ago that becomes a classic. It's already a classic. There's going to be genre that, right. that, that are, are continue to be, uh, you know, written in. Um, but but there's a there's always going to be a characteristic of a film that that will allow it to be a classic. Like in many cases, it's because you know Mary Shelley was involved. Right. Uh, there was some real good art at the beginning of the exercise that turned sure. into a good movie. And um, one of the classics, more modern day classics, even though now it's going on forty six years old, mm. is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, I love that. That, that was, was a great. Good. That was a great. And Marty and I, a number of years back, when we were uh, going outside in the winter time, we drove and we went to Devil's Tower. Yes. And I mean, it was it was so cool. There it, it is. There it is. There's mm-hmm. what they filmed the movie, mm-hmm. and it was so neat to be there. Uh, there's a there's a often uh, in that case I don't think they were saying oh look this is a cool place for uh, ex- extraterrestrials to come down and and communicate with us but there we are back to scientists really sort of and, getting and, getting the getting the, uh, the the technology that was needed remember the music that was oh required. yeah yeah and when you when 
we were there, everybody that was there, we were everybody was asking each other, "Have you seen any aliens yet?" Sure, you know everybody. Sure. Of course, they were there for that one. Everybody, and this is forty years after the yeah. movie. Yes, you yes. know that's pretty classic. Yeah, that's okay. pretty cool. Men in Black. Yeah. Uh, if if we're going to go to a uh, a, a place where well, we'd have to go to the Queens where the uh, World's Fair was. Remember right, that right. scene? Okay, why did, why did we ever, why did we ever have a World's Fair in Queens? <laughs> exactly. You mean the real spaceship? <laughs> That's right. So those are, those are great lines. And again, back to, uh, uh, to, to uh, landmarks. Uh, some of these things are, are really clever. Um, where you have aliens. Remember the scene from Men in Black where the aliens are in the desert? It's like as if they were coming from the southern border and, uh, and, and got, got lined up. And, and uh, the, the one guy who was, I mean, they were all aliens. They were all aliens of a certain kind. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember that in Men in Black. Where okay, are you, the, are, you, are you sure you don't mean Independence Day? No, in no. The I, they were in a, they were portrayed as aliens in a van, on the road, uh, uh, being pulled over by. Oh, at the very beginning agents. of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. agents, right? Yeah, and the guy's and, got the fake head. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, the, go and take care of these dangerous aliens. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The, no, you're exactly right. The, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Yeah, that was so pretty portrayal cool. Portrayal of of uh, of aliens. And you know that movie them. series, Men in Black, came mm -hmm. from a comic book. Of course. Yeah, some guy was writing a comic book, Men in Black, and they turned it into a movie. That's what I'm saying. Buck Rogers started yeah. in a comic book, and uh, here we are today. And for me, one of the quintessential... Well, when you're talking about space science fiction movies, I got to talk about Forbidden Planet. Mm -hmm. You know, with Leslie Nielsen and Anne Francis. A lot of big stars in that. Walter Pidgeon, Warren Stevens, Earl Holloman. You know, that is a great sci-fi movie and that's actually I, you know I don't know that much about Shakespeare but Forbidden Planet was based on Shakespeare's The Tempest oh right right The Temp okay that's interesting yeah. uh, you're, you're telling me stuff I don't remember or remember not knowing yeah and I'd have to read up a little bit more about The Tempest you know I've read a little bit about it but here's a, a modern day, well, modern 1950s sci-fi movie that was based on a Shakespeare play that was probably written in 1610 or 1611. Yes, yes, yes. And set on an island in the Mediterranean, by the way. That's right. And this yeah. is an island yeah. on another planet, yeah. another planet yeah. that's an yeah. island. Exactly. You know, so that's, very, that's cool. Very cool. And, and Again, there we are, back to literature. And right. if you paid attention, you'd actually learn something. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And then I think for more contemporary, which has really had a long run, is when you're talking sci-fi, we're talking the Star Trek series. Sure. You know, and that uh, for me, uh, my my wife and I, two favorite Star Treks are Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, and then when they go back to Earth and bring the whales back. Back when... Um I, I was have never really been a Star Trek fan, but I've known some. Right, and and it's interesting because um, the, I didn't understand the interest in it. But when it first came out, I was a young man in Detroit, and I uh, one of my friends 
at the time was all about Star Trek, and I didn't get it at all. But he was the first nerd I ever knew. The first Trekkie? The first Trekkie. <laughs> the fir- who knew? I the mean, first Trekkie And he nerd. was definitely the, all that you now are typecasting as, as Star Trek. Hey, I worked with a guy who was a chemical engineer, and he wore... A fanny pack on no, his front, Lord, Lord, and he Lord. had a Star Trek insignia on his fanny pack. This is, and he was a good guy. He was a smart guy. Yeah, but boy, he was a Trek nerd yeah. from the word go. Wow, wow, wow! And my wife and I, you know, in the Wrath of Khan, where where the the part where the Enterprise. Khan is, is, they're about ready to blow everybody up, mm-hmm. and the Enterprise is disabled, and then there it is, and Khan goes, there she is, yes. not quite so damaged <laughs> as we were led to believe. Well, one time, Marty, my wife, she was saying, hey, Larry, uh, dinner's, dinner's about ready, why don't you come on in here? So I walked into the kitchen, and it wasn't ready, and I just went, ah, dinner. Not quite as ready as we were led to believe. <laughs> and, and Marty got it, and she started laughing. I, we still do that one, too. Yes. There are there are some... <laughs> again, why wouldn't you want to be involved in uh, film buffery when you can come up with quotes oh, like absolutely. that? absolutely. It was... It and, was and, and excuse me, but don't let me wear the red uniform, right? Right. The no, red, you don't want to be the red... You don't want to have uh, the red suit on. Yeah, the red shirters are, are <laughs> goners. Yes, are goners. And, and that's why another uh, more modern day sci-fi movie, that, which is a parody of mm-hmm. the Star Treks and, uh, is Galaxy Quest. I love Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest is wonderful when you look at all the... And my wife will even do this now. We're watching something on TV or I'll do it. She goes, I see you managed to get your shirt off. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just a, it's a hilarious movie. It's a good movie. It's a good one. Yeah, Galaxy And Trust we're way, way beyond War of the Worlds at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. But um, well, not very far. And a lot of sci-fi, and it seems like more sci-fi now. And like I said before, it was always... Serious. Serious. They're coming to kill us. Now it's tongue-in-cheek. Now it's tongue-in-cheek. And, yeah. and it's... A lot of them are hopeful. Hopeful right. of the future. Right, right, right. Well, there's got to be something better than what we got here. Yeah, you know, and one of the ones we didn't like was that one called District 9. Oh, yeah. Where all the alien now, they come down and they're not really bad, but they're, uh, you know, they're, they, they, just, they just don't care. And they're, they're, they've got their, it's almost like they're on an Indian reservation to be managed. Very much so. And you remember, know? that was set in South Africa. So, yeah. so now we're dealing, we're dealing with social conditions that um, the future will, isn't going to help. Right, yeah. right. And we, uh, you know, we watched it, but it, 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 it didn't make too much of an impact on us, you know. So, well, David, we're uh, coming about down to the end of our hour here. We've just got it's about time uh, to get into a our, minute. Is it time to get into our cardboard car? It's and, time to get in our cardboard car car and our no. and our spaceship uh, hung by fish and wire going yeah. across a painted sky <laughs> and uh, and head home uh, folks well, once again we'd like to thank you for listening and don't forget about March 25th our Kenai Peninsula Film Group 2.30 in the afternoon at the Soldatna Library we would love to have you come by and have some fun with us and uh, David, do you, do you have, while we're closing here, do you have that quintessential sci-fi movie that you like, or, or do you, you're, you're not put, sure you can come up with that? You've got to put me on the spot I'm going to put you on the spot, buddy. <clears throat> okay. Um, it, it would probably be, of all these things that we've talked about, uh, Dune. 
uh, only because it is uh, timeless in my in my estimation. It's always going to be you know the the drama that comes from uh, finding ourselves in the future and still dealing with the same darn stuff. You know, and when we're talking about science fiction, you know, one of the things which could be a show in itself that we didn't talk about is the end of the world science mm-hmm. fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, or, yeah. So the, the when Last you, Man on Earth with Vincent Price, you end up looking at New York City. Uh, you know, in a, uh, having been destroyed several times. Right, and I mean, yeah. you're you're looking at well, the, the Omega Man with yep. Charlton Heston. That's a that uh, that's science fiction uh, with an attitude that we could probably cover. Uh, separately, you know. Yeah, it, it is. It has a, a the real the real end of the world theme. Yeah, and uh, you know because there's a lot of those out there. The last man on earth, the last yeah. woman. There's a movie called The Last Woman on Earth, and uh, that that is a true science fiction genre a in sub, itself. Subset. Subset. You've yes, a subset yeah. of yeah. science fiction. Yeah. And it's the same way with, uh, like we say, Creature from the Lab, Black Lagoon, things in nature that now people watch that movie and they're wondering if they could go to the to the swimming hole in Florida and not be, especially if you're a kid. I know where that swimming hole is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially if you're a kid. So yeah. Cool. Well, folks, we want to thank you again for listening. We're going to be signing off. Don't forget uh, March 25th, 2.30 at the Soldatna Library. We'd love to see you there. Uh, This is listener-supported public radio for the Central Kenai Peninsula, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna.